I already came up with the name for this episode. Nice. Puddle of Tom. Puddle of Tom. But. With two N's. Yeah, because Puddle of Mud is spelled with two D's. Oh, baby. <laughs> you know me. Deep. Puddle of, deep like a deep. puddle. Deep. Deep like a puddle. <laughs> okay. Hello and welcome to Shuffle Episode 4. Before I begin, I would like to remind you to please listen to the five songs that we will be discussing in this week's episode. Links to Spotify and YouTube accounts containing... I just messed that up. <laughs> Links <laughs> to Spotify and YouTube playlists are contained in the description for this episode. Check them out. Listen to them either before, after, or during the listening to of this episode. This week, we are joined yet again by special guest, mm-hmm. as he likes to be called, mm-hmm. Dominic Manthe. That's right. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're very. Thanks for calling me back. Well, you know, we need a special guest, yeah, and yeah. you do go by special guest. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I'd also like to announce that we have officially gone four episodes without an icy incident. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. And actually, in our next segment, Insane Clown Posse news. Oh. Just this past week, Insane Clown Posse was scheduled to play at the North Park Observatory in San Diego, California. Wow. Now... Big venue. That's huge for them. It is. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was happy for them. Now, they are known for spraying and dumping copious amounts of Fago soda mm-hmm. on themselves in the audience during the performance. Mm-hmm. They actually have a caveat in their contract stating that the venue needs to allow the entire surface of the inside of the venue to be coated in Fago to avoid lawsuits for themselves. The North Park Observatory, I guess, overlooked this caveat, signed them, and then went back and saw it. And right before the day of they were going to play, they said, hey, you can't dump copious amounts of Fago soda all over the venue. We want to keep it clean. <laughs> and then they said, well, you either let us do it or the show's off. And they said, well, we're not going to let you do it. So the show got canceled. It got canceled. Yeah. Uh... I learned that they dump on average about 15 gallons of Fago soda per concert night. And wow. when they travel on tour, they actually have a separate semi just full of the soda for dumping on the audience. <laughs> Are they officially sponsored by Fago? I think I it's bet. pretty unofficial. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess. For, yeah, and I Fago's guess sake. it's also been found out that one of the most expensive concerts you can go to is an Insane Clown Posse concert. Because as well as the price of the ticket, you usually have to buy a new cell phone because it's ruined uh, from all the soda that gets covered. It gets covered with. True. Man, we didn't yeah. even think of that. Wait, so the concert was canceled. Completely canceled. But I'd like to think like a bunch of fans came regardless and just sprayed the shit (laughs) out of everything with Fago soda, right? Yeah, just a protest. (laughs) I actually, um, have you ever been to the First Avenue in Minneapolis? Yeah, yeah. And have you ever been to the 7th Street entry? It's connected to First Avenue. It's it's a small side room where they hold smaller concerts. I was seeing Health there one night. Yeah. And Insane Clown Posse was playing at First Avenue next door. They got the bigger venue. Damn. Yes, they did. It was it was a crazy <laughs> night. There were drunk juggalos everywhere. <laughs> and the sidewalk on the entire block stretching both ways in front of First Avenue was sticky wow. with Fago soda. Wow. They were standing outside of the thing just people instead of drinking it they're just dumping it on their heads. 
what 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 is the mentality? I mean, someone who was a recovering ICP <laughs> fanatic, right? What what was the mentality of these people? I think fanatic's a bit of a strong <laughs> word. I experimented. <laughs> oh, man. I was ICP curious. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, ICP curious. Okay, so I'm a little ICP curious as to what is the general mentality of these people who go to the shows and spray the living hell out of everything with Fago. Are they doing it just because like it's funny or because like this is a very serious ritual of solidarity as ICP culture? Well, there is a whole mythos uh-huh. behind ICP. Um, I mean, I was planning on getting more into this once we ran into one of the songs, but I can give you... <laughs> there's there's an overarching storyline. There's characters. There's importance. Like, they have this conceptual a series of conceptual albums that kind of lead to mm. this this mythos of the icp wait 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 so without giving that away yeah how much of that script that mythos do you think the average fan who goes to their show knows do you think most of them are like cult members for yes. lack of a better word they're yeah. like hardcore active participants yeah they're they're not casual bystanders they're such a band where i don't think there's a casual yeah. fan okay you are either a juggalo or you <laughs> you better watch your ass. You don't know anything about ICP or you're like an ex-juggalo. Oh. Now, I listened to about four albums and I was like, okay, this isn't for me. Too heavy. I listened to it. Yeah. So, yeah, there's mm. this overarching storyline and one of the things, one of the parts of it is this Fago Soda. Um, the, the, the origin of it is... These two guys, Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope, the two members of ICP, were these broke kids growing up in Detroit, Michigan. And Fago Soda was really cheap. Yeah. So they drank it all the time. And then they started rapping about it and how it's part of the Juggalo culture. So it grew from there where people who never had Fago Soda, like, it's cheap soda. But I remember back in Minnesota where they don't sell Fago. Yeah. When you go to Hot Topic, you can buy a bottle of it for like 15 fucking dollars. At Hot Topic? Yeah, they were wow. selling it there because they sold Insane Clown Posse stuff. And wow. they would mark it up when you could go to, uh, even here in Pennsylvania, go to a gas station, buy like a liter of it for 75 cents. Yeah. It's cheap soda. Yeah. And I, I think it's, you know, it's spectacle. It probably started out with them like giving away soda at concerts and then it got spilt and it's kind of grew into this thing like at a Guar concert where you get covered in fake blood. They spray the audience with Fago. It's yeah. just like people don't think about it. It's just part of it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that ends our Insane Clown Posse News <laughs> Corner. I news wanted, Corner. News Corner. I don't want to know what happens on <laughs> This news corner when we're not here. Oh my god. It gets serious. This ICP alley. ICP alley. Uh, have you been listening to anything this week that you want to talk about or like mm. to share? Uh well, besides just the standard Creed and Paul McCartney wings. Of course. Uh, which goes without saying. Well, and that's you're starting to build the Dominic yeah, exactly. mythos now. Exactly, exactly. Just me with some Fago. Actually, Fago. Mr. Pib. All extra. What's the Mr. Pib? There was like a Mr. Pib Extreme Cafe. There was. It was. I think it was called Extra. That sounds familiar. That's Mr. Pib Extra. You got Paul McCartney Wings album. Boom. And you get a little bit of Creed in the background. It's kind of ambient. All music. while you're worshiping at your Scientology <laughs> church. Exactly. Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> That's my life. 
No, what have I actually been listening to? I hope I didn't mention this like the first or second week. If that's the case, then this is just an extra endorsement. But Tame Impala, the Australian psychedelic rock band, their newest album, Currents, is fantastic. It's a fantastic album. I believe you and I talked about this off mic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this was off the record. Well, on the record, Mm. fantastic album. They're kind of famous for being the kind of modern or neo-psychedelic rock. And some of their hardcore fans, if there's really any out there, apparently online there are, they were a bit upset that this album had very minimal guitar. It was not guitar-driven, but it was more kind of dance music. It was very electric, It's very electric. And to me, it's a little bit... It's very comparable to Daft Punk. Um, But I kind of... I mean, it's stupid to have to pick. Did you like Daft Punk's album more than this one? But this one, I like a little bit more. It's it's d- electronic dance, but it still has that sort of psychedelic rock mentality. Are We're, you referring to Random Access Memories? Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, Even though it yeah. has your favorite Panda Bear on I it? I know, it has Panda Bear on it, too. But, yeah, Tame Impala Currents is just a fantastic album. It's it's genius. It's a genius album. And it's, a da- it's a, an album... Theoretically, if one were inclined to dance, I've never tried it myself, you could do it to the album. Or if you want to just curl up in the dark, put it, you know, put your headphones in, listen to it, you could do that. Would you would you say that Tame Impala is doing it right on this album? I would say that. They're absolutely <laughs> doing it right. There's like Daft Punk fans just raging right now. <laughs> of all the millions of listeners that we have. Take that yeah, back. Take it back. I mean Daft Punk, I respect them. I like their stuff. Tame Impala Currents, you would love that too if you like that. I haven't checked out this Tame Impala album, but I will say awesome album artwork. It's great. Awesome album artwork. It's great. Psychedelic, bro. Yeah. Blow your mind. Staring at that for two days straight. (laughs) See Jesus' face and bread. It's almost (laughs) as great as the Human Clay album artwork. Oh yeah, almost. It's We're working almost on... <laughs> as good as that shitty CGI yeah. clay man bursting out of the earth. We're working on getting the copyright for that so we can make that the cover art to the, shuffle. Yeah, to yeah. shuffle. We're working on it, folks. Just stay Scott with Stapp, us. Scott he wants us to... We're asking 30 bucks. He's asking 35 That's a tough bargain. <laughs> I know Ooh. he needs the money. Open okay. for 32 You can tell him, yeah, thirty-two fifty. and that's as high as we're willing to go. offer. Break right. his balls, man. <laughs> Break his balls. I've been listening to a couple albums this week and I I realized something about myself with this. Mm. So first, one of the bands that I got into has probably one of the most pretentious names I've ever heard. Really? They're called The World is a Beautiful Place and I Am No Longer Afraid to Die. Wow. They are... uh... (laughs) Basically, I'm better than you. Yes. (laughs) They are... Yeah. They're, uh, They're from Connecticut... They are, uh, of course, they kind of mix They're Okay. First of all, there's this emo revivalist movement happening right now mm. where there's these bands that are coming forward that are trying to call themselves emo, put out emo music. Nice. Reclaim but, it. Yes. And they, they're definitely changing it a bit. Like hmm. there's another band I've kind of gotten into. They're called Tiny Moving Parts and they're from Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with them a little they're bit. They're combining emo and math rock. So like yeah. highly technical guitaring. Yeah. This band is kind of putting emo with post-rock music. 
And another band I've gotten into recently is another, it's a band called Deaf Heaven. They're a black metal band from California, I believe. Yeah. And they mix black metal with post-rock. Post. Now, I realize that you could probably take any genre and mix it with post-rock, and I'll probably say that I like it. (laughs) I do. You're a post-rock man. I guess so. Because, like, I like emo music, I like black metal, but you add post-rock to it, and I love it. Yeah. It goes from like to love. I know it's something... And the thing I realized about myself is I think the music I listened to in middle school ruined me or made it me better whatever however you want to look at it because yeah. i like grew up listening to new metal like corn and limp biscuit Ooh. and system of a down and we're talking new metal like and you metal. metal yes so oh God. they are infamous for these like builds up build ups to these crescendos like where it gets really quiet and then yeah. it explodes and it's like all about that big drop which is also why I think I like Skrillex's music. I was gonna say yeah dubstep. And post rock, yeah. you know, it it's usually like this bell curve shape. It starts off quiet, it crescendos and explodes and ends mm-hmm. up all quiet and it's yeah. Yeah. So if you're into black metal, emo music or post rock, I recommend checking out Deaf heaven and the world is a beautiful place and I am no longer afraid to die. <laughs> very nice. Yeah, very yeah. nice. Post Rockman. That's that's me. <laughs> post Rockman. That's the layman term for us. Yeah. Post Rockman. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our first song, which is Last Day of Summer by The Cure. Mm-hmm. Off of their 2000 album, Blood Flowers. Uh, the Cure are a goth rock band new wave-ish kind of too from crawley west sussex england Hmm. they've been active since 1976 and i'm a huge fan of them okay um obviously you guys can't see it but i have a picture of me dressed up as robert smith from the cure hanging on this wall actually it's It's framed and it's right here hanging on his wall looks at it every day yeah i i look at it shed one little tear and go on with my morning i actually thought that was a picture of him as a young man yeah wow. i'll i'll, I'll but po- it's you i'll post that on wow. one of the social networks associated with this podcast so you guys can Dang. check it out <laughs> so yeah i i think robert smith he's one of my favorite musicians he's did you did you dress like that every day during junior high <laughs> No, actually, that, that was for a one-act play I was in. Oh, okay. good. But I was totally inspired by his look yeah, of the yeah. teased long hair, smeared makeup. Yeah, it's iconic yeah. now. Yeah, really. He's collaborated with many bands, which I respect. Crystal Castles, Blink-182, Smashing Pumpkins, back in middle school days, Korn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he, wait, he collaborated with Korn? Yes, on Corn's wow. unplugged, like MTV unplugged sessions. They pulled the old. Wow. The entire band of The Cure and the entire band of Corn mashed two of their songs together and wow. performed it. Wow. Yep. Was it good? It was all right. Yeah. It, it was kind of weird because, first of all, it was an unplugged concert, so it was very acoustic. Yeah. Which kind of fell into The Cure's wheelhouse more so. I would think so. And, yeah. you know, Robert Smith and his iconic vocals juxtaposed with Jonathan Davis is like it kind of took you a little bit out of the moment yeah but it wasn't that bad actually I will say um Robert Smith was the inspiration for Neil Gaiman's iconic character 
Dream from the Sandman comic book series. Mm. He actually voiced himself in an episode of South Park. That's right. Yep. Where he battled a Godzilla version of Barbara, Barbara Streisand. And yeah, uh, the Blood Flowers is the final part of Robert Smith's trilogy, which are three albums that he considers to best represent what the cure is. The first being the 1982 album Pornography the 1989 album Disintegration, and then this one, Blood Flowers. And actually just last year, they performed all three of them live at this huge concert. Wow. So yeah, uh, what did you think about The Last Day of Summer? Last Day of Summer. So I, I am not very familiar with the Cure's discography at all. I'm a, what you would call a casual kind of pop cultural you're not fan. A, you're not a Cure'sman. I'm not a Cure'sman. No, by no means am I a cure man. I just kind of am loosely familiar with the cure, more just as like the kind of cultural icons that they are and all of those things that they represent for better or for worse. So whenever I think of the cure first, it's like I got to get through a layer of Tim Burton. (laughs) And I'm not sure why. Similar haircuts. (laughs) Yeah, similar, exactly. And then I got to get through a layer of kind of what I – what my prejudices are about the goth rock genre, which I, I'm not even entirely sure what it is. But when you just get down to it, all the music from The Cure that I've heard, I like. I, I respect mm-hmm. the music. And maybe this is a very like hipster or, or just, just really stupid hang-up. But there's something about English rock that I just have a hard time fully immersing myself into meaning that like in the kinks english rock i got them i like them pink floyd they also have a sort of english rock but once you get to the 80s like the kind of morrissey the cure was joy division english they were they were in and i like joy division too but there's something about and again, this sounds very hipster. I'm the first one to acknowledge it. But there's something about the kind of restrained, kind of almost respectable sound in the guitars. And maybe I'm just generalizing from this song. But when I think of The Cure, I still think of that kind of British rock tradition that in the 80s I just have not yet gotten into. Well, no, Robert is, he's, um, what am I trying to say? He's known for his particular guitar sound. It is yeah. a sound he crafted. So yeah. the guitar sound in this song is a good example for the rest of the discography. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, quickly going back, even though their label is goth rock, he doesn't like being called that, which is no surprise. A lot of time bands right. are infamous for saying, I'm not the genre that everyone thinks yeah. I am. Yeah, So I, I thought that was funny. I mean... Do you think he is goth? What oh, is goth he's, rock? He's totally goth rock. Okay, first of all, I don't think of anyone else. I think of goth like, rock. He's been on record saying like, I don't know why everyone thinks I'm so sad all the time. I'm really not. I just happen to write when I'm sad. Well, all we know is your music, and your music <laughs> is fucking sad. Yeah. And if you look at yourself, you look like you're depressed. Like you are actively trying to look depressed. You wear like these baggy, half buttoned up shirts. You have smeared makeup on your face. Your hair looks. Like you touched an electric socket with a fork. <laughs> you you <laughs> yeah. look depressed. Yeah. And it, it's nothing bad. Like a lot of people, a lot of people 
it means a lot to them. It helps them relate. I just, I don't yeah. know why you need to be on your high horse about it. Yeah, because it, it, I mean, I can't think of another band off the top of my head that's goth rock. So if he's not goth rock. Well, people say like the big three British goth rock bands, The Cure, Bauhaus, Joy Division. Okay, and Joy Division. He, yeah. he killed himself, so. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that's how that turned out. Joyful. Like. <laughs> no, the, I mean, I like, if, if I was forced to compare The Cure to The Smashing Pumpkins, which may be a totally false comparison, maybe it's totally unfair. I don't think so. But I, I just kind of prefer Smashing Pumpkins over The Cure. And maybe I'm just, it's just kind of more like angry angst with The Smashing Pumpkins. It kind of, and again, maybe I'm generalizing from this song, which is more just kind of forlorn, kind of, again, a, a, a sort of a bit restrained. Yeah. Although you feel the existential angst, and I appreciate it. It's a well-crafted song, but I kind of like the Smashing Pumpkins where it's almost more, maybe a little bit more emo angsty with a sort of American rock vibe. Yeah, Billy Corgan definitely gets mad, yeah. whereas it doesn't yeah. feel like Robert Smith has much of a pulse sometimes. Yeah, um, but that's my own bias. There's, there are some songs later on in the Cure's discography where they get a little louder, a little angrier. But mostly they kind of stay in like the I'm too sad to be angry <laughs> realm of things. Yeah, kind of introspective. Yeah, and I I try to figure out what the song was about in particular. And I had like three interpretations, and I'm not quite sure which one it is. <clears throat> I think the easy one to go to is to say that he's comparing the last day of the summer to like a lost loved one. Yeah. Like, I didn't appreciate you before you left. But the lyrics didn't exactly, like, go with that, I feel. I feel like it's more about him getting old and, like, life's gone by and he didn't yeah. realize it till now. Yeah. Or it's just, like, in general, talking about the feeling of not appreciating something before it's gone, which those two first interpretations could easily be at the same time. See, that's funny because I thought he was just talking about the end of summer. Literal, the literal end yeah, of summer. summer was over. I, I guess and, uh... I didn't even think about that. I like, <laughs> I like looked past that because like, of course it can't be that. I didn't even no, register hey, with Maybe me. I'm overinterpreting it here, but I thought the last day of summer was cold, and that's always a bummer. When the last day of summer is cold, it's like you got cheated out of the last day. That's true. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I think you're. <laughs> I think no, what that, it, it, it it could be. No, I think maybe we're being presumptuous that. by assuming that he's deeper like that. I do think that the sound <laughs> of the instrumentation literally sounds like the last day of summer. Yeah. Like yeah. there's this weird happiness and sadness. Like yeah. it's still warm now, but you realize it's coming to an end. Like, I, I don't know. I can't even describe how they did it, but it sounds like the feeling of, Oh, it's the last day of summer. Yeah. Yeah. Very bittersweet kind of end of a end of an era. And, and yeah, Wax is kind of nostalgic, romantic, which, I don't know, I feel like The Cure is a band that I respect the craft of their music, but I just don't quite, this doesn't quite get my motor running. Sure. Relax. But I feel like maybe when I'm older, and I can really relate to the lyrics. When you're sadder. When I'm more mature. When life is beating you exactly, down Exactly, it's just totally beating me down. Scientology's blackmailed me, kicked me out. <laughs> I'm going to pop on the cure one day. You lost all your great CDs. Oof. Exactly. Which, but in all honesty, I'm, 
I do mean that as a compliment. The Cure, I'm not really into them now, but they're one of the bands I acknowledge I could get into at some point in my life. You will at some point. Yeah, yeah. I also, as I like, as I was listening to it, I wondered what this song sounded like to someone who's not that familiar with Robert Smith. Yeah, because I'm very familiar with his voice, and I was thinking like. People who listen to this probably think it sounds a lot sadder than it actually is. Because yeah. he, he literally sounds like he's crying while he's singing this song. <laughs> yeah. But that's how he always sounds. That's yeah. his voice. So uh, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe it comes across as a lot more depressing to someone who's not that familiar. See, I think that's the, I think I've probably only knowingly heard like five Kira songs. Like it's small sample size. And each time... It just strikes me as this is very sad music. It is very sad. sad. It is. But I feel like, yeah, if I probably listen to a lot, I would kind of pick up on different registers and degrees of sadness. Or even better, I would become desensitized to the emotion altogether. I would never feel sad. Then <laughs> <laughs> that's the dream. Yeah. The American, the British dream, <laughs> the, the British dream. The there is a uniquely British style of like sad music. Well, yeah, because it's not blatant sadness. No, it's like no. it's internal. It's like you got to You can't show your weakness. Yeah. You got to like shove it down and bottle it up inside. There's you. something. There's like some sense of like respectability in British music. Yeah, I, I can't quite put into words, but it's like I'm sad. But I still am respectful. Yeah, because it it's sad, but it sounds nostalgic. Or yeah. like you're pining for something almost. Yeah. More so than just, oh, boo-hoo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I also thought it was funny, the YouTube comments on the video that I linked in the playlist. <laughs> it's just a bunch of people, like, lamenting the end of summer. They're not even talking about the song. <laughs> they're like, man, the last day of summer sucks. Yeah, Wait, I they're literally that. saying They're the literally like... All the comments uh, are just people talking about how much <laughs> how much the, the last day of summer sucks see? and how they always come to listen to this song because of how sad they are during the last day of summer. Maybe I was right. You Maybe it's it. about summer. You got it. The crowd has spoken. <laughs> All right. Next, we'll move on to Icky Thump by mm. the White Stripes, which is the was it the titular track, the titular track? Exactly. Yeah, the titular track. Titular track from yeah. the 2007 Ooh, yeah. album. Icky Thump. Not that any of you probably don't know, but the White Stripes are a bluesy garage rock duo from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, interesting fact, I found out that Jack White, the guitarist and vocalist for the White Stripes, used to be the drummer for a cowpunk band called Goober and the Peas. <laughs> What's cowpunk? It's not... exactly what it sounds like. It is country music mixed with punk music. Wow, I could see that. I could see him doing that. I mean, the wow. amount of blues that he's into, it's not that surprising that he mm -hmm. delve into the countryside of things. Yep. Um, I learned that, because I, I was so curious what icky thump meant. Yeah. I learned that it is a Northern England phrase, which roughly translates to saying, oh God, it, it's slang for, oh God, icky thump. Icky thump. And another interesting fact is they Jack and Meg White had these very particular outfits for the this album and the music video and the artwork where it's these black outfits that are just completely covered in pearls. Yeah. Which is actually 
a Cockney style traditional garb, which is like Southern England. So Icky Thump is from Northern England, but the costumes they wore for it are from Southern England. Uh, I wonder if that, I, you think that was intentional? Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. They And I should say that the title of the song and album is Icky, I-C-K-Y. Yeah. The actual phrase is Ecky, E-C-K-Y. Jack has uh, said that they misspelt it on purpose because here I wrote it down. Hipsters. They changed the they changed <laughs> the spelling so teenagers in America would better understand. So I think oh. he's calling us dumb or something. <laughs> he's always concerned about youth education. He is. So it's uh, con- very consistent. So the song is a it's a critique on contemporary USA immigration policies. Mm-hmm. Uh he comments on how easy it is to get across the Mexican border, such as Icky Thump, Who to Thunk, sitting drunk on a wagon into Mexico, because it's so easy to just get over, you could be drunk. He says, white American what? Nothing better to do. Why don't you kick yourself out? You're an immigrant too, because we're allegedly a nation of immigrants, mm-hmm. a melting pot, so to say. Who's using who? What should we do? You can't be a pimp and a prostitute too. Which is kind of referencing the fact that we like to call immigrants lazy, yet mm. they're at the same time taking our jobs. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's kind of talking crap about how we treat Mexicans. What what do you think of Icky Thump? So yeah, I I would say uh, I'm I am I would identify myself as a White Stripes fan. To be honest, White Stripes fan, Jack White's solo music. It's a bold, that's a bold stance to take. Yeah, it's a bold stance. I'm willing to take it. The Jack White solo material, I'm not very familiar with, which is odd, probably, because I think his solo stuff has become extremely popular. But, but this song, I do think, I, I really do think this is a fantastic song. I think I just love the sort of almost manic nature of the vocals mixed with the very strange guitar effect that has that weird buzzing you know in the beginning and throughout which i think at least when he does it solo it's a guitar effect i don't know how we record it in the studio it's actually she uses a guitar and a synthesizer called a univox ah. so the best way i can put it like the very beginning of the song the little solo is the univox yeah in the middle it's a univox and at the end it's his guitar yeah, okay. And actually, I had to like look this up because they the, the effect on both of them sound very similar. Yeah, yeah. And um, something kind of funny. I I looked up a live video of them playing it because I was curious how they did it live. Jack tries to play the guitar and the Univox at the same time. Yeah, that's what I've seen. That's now, what... <laughs> if you know the song, it kind of like every so I I don't know music that well. So many bars, it goes with a guitar, and yeah. then it's done. And during between the denanas, he's doing his little Univox solo. Yeah. So like he would be manically trying to play the solo, and then he'd have to stop in the middle of playing the thing to go to his guitar to go and then he'd go back to the thing, and he just like, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, he looks right. so stressed out. Yeah. yeah. It's like why why don't you just get a third guy? Yeah, get a third. Get, get man, a third man. person on there. Yeah. No, no, I I love the energy of this song, and I love this sort of almost demented sounding. Uh, guitar noise um and the vocals i think that i think that sound effect mixed with his typically manic sounding vocals 
work really well together. And then the fact that periodically you can actually hear lyrics that are very clever, that, that makes it, for me, that's like a completely satisfying song. That it's, makes it perfect. Is the song totally political? Yeah, kind of. But is it also sort of just like a rock romp song? Yeah. Well, and there is a story being told. It, yeah. it's, it's this weird mix. Kind of, There's actually like there's two verses which seem completely independent of the rest of the <laughs> yeah. The whole song is just the story about him getting drunk, going to Mexico, finding this woman. Yep. They supposedly sleep together and then he wakes up in the morning with himself handcuffed to the bed and his wallet's missing he eventually smashes it with a rock and then stumbles out of mexico and then claims i gotta take better care of myself yeah and sprinkled throughout there are these political <laughs> statements about in the music video they're, they're building this great wall of mexico yeah. along the texas border and yeah so it is still a clever like narrative yeah and it, i mean i don't know it's a it's a really, I mean, I'm a huge fan of this song. I think it's a great mix of like almost sleazy sounding lyrics and then just totally manic sounds where his voice is almost just an instrument. You don't even know what he's saying. And then you actually hear like, wow, you can't be a pimp and a prostitute too. I didn't know he was capable of that well, kind of. <laughs> I remember <laughs> this was my senior year of high school when the song came out. And when I heard that song, like white America, nothing better to do. Why don't you kick yourself out your name? And I'm just like, Fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah kick yeah. yourself out, America. <laughs> I'm gonna kick myself out. Yeah. yeah Screw yeah. us. No. We no. suck. No, it's great. I think yeah, it's a really great song. I I mean most of the things I wrote were just an overall kick ass song. Yeah. This song yeah. is just kick ass. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And his vocal delivery, it's he's like yelling, but he's not. And <laughs> yeah. it's really hard to sing along with if you ever try, because yeah. And he can do it live in that live video. He can. I don't know. Yeah. He's a he's a talented ass man. Yeah. He he himself almost begs a whole nother conversation. Jack White, the icon, because he's almost. Because I've tried to figure out. I love the White Stripes. Why have I never listened to a solo stuff like Lazaretto? I've heard it's great. Or Blunderbuss. Yeah, never really listened to it. De you? Dead Weather. Raconteurs. Raconteurs. I just know like one or two of their songs, but I, I just feel like there's a there's a sort of archetype of the douchey guitarist, and he he straddles that line sometimes. And so for maybe, again, entirely hipster reasons, I find myself not drawn to his solo stuff. Because think of it, Jimmy Page... Keith Richards. These are all people he loves. Van Halen. They're douchey guitars. They're, they're douchey guitars. They're all douchebags. They're great. Talented. John Mayer. See, now we're getting even closer to the ultimate douchey guitarist. And I feel like he straddles that line sometimes. When he was in the White Stripes, he didn't come to the forefront as much. Now that he's solo, I have a hard time reconciling. And actually, going back to our first segment, he produced a song with Insane Clown Posse. No. I'm not even kidding you. What? It's like almost an ICP incident we just had. No. <laughs> he, it was back. Wow. Probably four or five years ago. He helped make the beat and produced and put out a single on Third Man Records by Insane Clown Posse. Wow. Yep. Wow, Jack. He kind of framed it as... 
I don't want to burn bridges or shut doors. I'm open to experimenting. He, he just wants to try <laughs> stuff is what he said. Wow. Are they from Detroit too? Yeah, is they there... are. Okay. They're all from Detroit. Then, okay, then yeah. I can cut him a little slack. The Detroit connection. Fair enough. Yep. But a great song. It is a great song. All right. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Big one coming Next up. Next song. <laughs> Drift, Ampersand, Die. <laughs> A.K.A. Drift and Die by Puddle of Mud. Mm. Off the 2001 album, Come Clean. Puddle of Mud are a post-grunge band from Kansas City, Missouri. Mm. Post-grunge is an amazing genre that put out bands such as Matchbox 20, Creed, Nickelback, <laughs> and Puddle of Mud. So we can think post-grunge for a lot of quality audio tunes. Um, fuck. <laughs> it's a right. poor genre. Okay, this is how I want to start out talking about this song. I was on the website, songmeanings.com, looking up this song. And I noticed there was a bit of an argument stirring in the comments of this oh, song's damn. thread. So, user Locust stated, Mud is a no-talent band that was just created for teeny boppers to bandwagon on so they can say they relate to the songs and that they're capable of feeling angst. Wow. <laughs> to which, Tim Couch 2 what happened to Tim Couch 1 is my question. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very The hero stepped in to defend Puddle of Mud, <laughs> saying, This is an awesome song, and I think that it actually ranks better than the first two songs, Control and Blurry. This song is an awesome, a locust <laughs> is gay. This is a hardworking band out of Kansas City and is not for the teeny boppers. If there was a band and teeny boppers like their song, this does not mean that this band is for teeny boppers <laughs> or that they like teeny boppers. They have no say over who likes them. That's why I hate it when top 40 stations play Puddle of Mud or any other good rock songs. Then they get a lot of gay fans and then the song gets way overplayed. Great song though. Go Puddle of Mud. <laughs> that is passion. So those oh are the kind of people that attract. <laughs> are you Tim mud. Couch too? You read that with so much conviction. I'm Tim Couch one, <laughs> yeah. and I'm really mad at Tim Couch yeah, two for stepping on my territory, yes. bogarting my identity there. Wow, that's passion. That is passion. The name Puddle of Mud <laughs> has a very interesting, deep, philosophical background. Mm. Mm. Back when they were recording their first EP, the recording studio they were going to had a lot of potholes in the parking lot and it would rain a lot which would fill up with rainwater and mud <laughs> and there was a lot of puddle of muds they had to get through to go record their album that's the whole fucking story wow wow that's brilliant i feel like i can see it that's a puddle of mud yep <laughs> let's write that down how do you spell mud i don't know m-u-d-d -D. <laughs> now west Scantlin, the lead singer of this band, and the only constant member, so the brainchild of Puddle of Mud. They have a very high turnover rate. Who would have thought? Has been <laughs> accused on numerous occasions of lip-syncing 
He's been what? accused. Is that right? He's been accused wow. on numerous of occasions of lip syncing during live performances. Uh, he's often appeared extremely drunk and barely able to even mime his way through the songs, which is why he's been caught lip syncing. Wow. He's been booed off stage tons of times. Um, one time after being caught lip syncing, <laughs> he lost his temper, threw his microphone and a beer bottle into the audience, and then jumped into the audience and tried to physically attack the person that called him a lip syncer. Wow. Basically, he's a fucking douche. Yeah. <laughs> and... These days, if you go on YouTube and just type in Puddle of Mud, their music videos aren't the first videos that pop up. <laughs> it's fan videos with titles such as Puddle of Mud on Stage Meltdown, Puddle of Mud, <laughs> West Scantlin, I'm Not a Fucking Lip Syncer, shortly before storming off stage. Puddle of Mud barely plays one song before yelling at audience and leaving stage. It's mm. just a, a douchebag. It's just another example of the tortured genius. It's hard to be that great. All right, since you're the Pokemon <laughs> apologist here, what oh, do you yeah. what do you think of Drift Ampersand Die? Look, let me just say this: Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden. Also oh, pre-grunge. Yeah, exactly. Look, what did they all have in common? They just almost got it right. <laughs> then you, you got Puddle of Mud, and they perfected it. And people hold it against them. And I don't know why. You know, this is what the dream was. They fulfilled the dream. People are going to hold it against them on them. You know, I gave you a second chance. <laughs> I gave you a second chance after that Creed stuff. And this is how you thank me? It's just good. You can't deny it. Do Drift and Die. Most bands would have gone with Drift or Die. Not Puddle of Mud. No. They're looking this straight on, dead in the eyes. It's Drift and Die. You're not closing any doors. Nope. They're bringing in both the drifters and the dead people. Exactly. Dude, they keep it real. They're not afraid to say how it is. And he's a torch. He's like Brian Wilson from Beach Boys. He's tortured. Yeah. Can't <laughs> wait till the documentary comes out about him. Man, they, I I have no idea what the song's about either. <laughs> I have no idea. It's, it's just, terrible. It's just it, it is terrible. The dumbest lyrics. I gotta admit it's I, I read them over and over again. It's just him trying to sound like he cares about stuff, <laughs> is the best way I can put it. The music video begins with the band members sitting on a train looking introspectively out the window deep juxtaposed with cuts of them having fun at other points of their life <laughs> then all of a sudden they're all on top of a helipad on a skyscraper rocking out and finishing the song of course and that's the end of the music video <laughs> wow i now, respect you for watching now that. if only a gust of wind drifted in blew them off the skyscraper and then they died by splatting on the ground <laughs> No. I don't mean that. Now, if they like die in a horrible plane crash, I'm gonna feel bad. But no, this song is horrible. It's, it it's horrible. It, it is terrible, and the amount to which there's the vocals and everything is so obviously ripping off like Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, and that grunge sound. It, it's depressing, and I genuinely wonder what is the meaning of the word post in post grunge. Is it just that this happened to be the bands and they're all terrible? They tried to copy the sound? Or was the genre itself just doomed somehow? I don't know. Because I love grunge music. Nirvana, mm -hmm. Pearl Jam. Why was post-grunge arguably or inarguably one of the worst genres of the 21st century? Well, grunge was all about kind of like a do-it-yourself aesthetic. Yeah. Uh staying true to the art yeah post grunge is all about 
mainstream accessibility. Big time, yeah. So exactly. they stripped away all of the angst and just replaced it with what does uh audience want to hear? Mm-hmm. How can we crowdsource this genre? Yeah. Nickelback, I mean, no, very true. It almost make listening to this song almost made me think maybe the government did kill Kurt Cobain. Maybe they really did. And it just killed, they knew it would kill the genre. Because when else have we ever had a musician so critically and commercially popular that was so derisive and irreverent toward the industry of music? I can hardly, maybe there's been some, but Kurt Cobain, he was so genuinely, he just hated being famous. And he just seemed, till the very end, so very grunge. Maybe he really just did get killed. Maybe he did. <laughs> We're looking at you, Courtney Love. What'd you do? It's bigger than this, man. Oh, We're talking man. Illuminati stuff here. Now you're talking my language. <laughs> now you're talking my language. I don't know. The, the, from grunge to post-grunge. It's very depressing. Very depressing. Oh, my. It's all Fred Durst's fault. He got that band going. I read that, too. In, pre- in preparation, I knew very little about Paul and Mudd except just... This is how you remind <laughs> yep. me of what I feel. Uh, actually, that's them, right? That's Paul Do you want me to correct you? Correct me. Correct it's me. Nickelback. Oh, God. Which one's Paul of Mud? The Blurry is probably the biggest song. Right, how's that it go? It goes, um, can you take it all away? <laughs> oh, can you take it oh, all away? That's just some of the worst. You know, music. the same song. Jesus Christ. Uh, there was... I did murder. You, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's turn this into a post grunge karaoke hour. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in. Tune in. Post grunge karaoke hour. Post grunge karaoke hour. <laughs> Brought to you every week. There was a uh, this indie computer game i used to play a lot back in high school that was called the emo game it was basically a a side-scrolling shooter game that made fun of music it even made fun of emo music and i should say this was like true early's emo music a a fan of that genre like so at the drive-in thursday rights of spring kind of before it got yeah post emo i guess Yeah. yeah And one of the final, and so basically you'd play the lead singers of these traditional emo bands battling shitty musicians. Puddle of Mud was one of the bosses. <laughs> and I need to play this game. This it might, st- I, it's, it's been a long time. <laughs> it might still be out there. I wow. don't know. So the Puddle of Mud boss, and if there are any young listeners or easily offended people out there, close your ears because it's a little graphic. <laughs> It was the five members of Puddle of Mud in a train all having anal sex with each other. <laughs> and they'd like go around like a train just having sex with each other. And they wow. would build up to a huge <laughs> beam of a white laser, wow. I guess. And they would shoot you with their ejaculate. This is like human centipede type yeah, stuff almost, it's, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's where they got the idea for yeah, it. Yeah, Wow. Puddle of mud, human chain, sex chain. <laughs> Can you take it all away? Take it all away. Jesus. All right, let's be done with this. Let's drift and die on to the next song. 
which is, and I, I'd like to offer a correction. I realize on the last episode, I said this song was called 100 Million Died to Make This Sound. Uh, it is actually just 1 million died to make this sound. Makes it less bad. So I apologize. A million can die. 100 million. Yeah. I get that's, that's a little excessive. Yeah. <laughs> 1 million died to make this sound by <laughs> the Silver Mount Zion. Excuse me. By the Silvermount Zion Memorial Orchestra and Tra La La Band. Off their 2008 album, 13 Blues for 13 Moons. Mm. The first 13 is the number 13. The second 13 is the word 13. Just in case you were wondering. Nah. They nah. are an experimental art post-rock band from Montreal and Quebec, Canada. Though, similar to many bands we talk about, they don't like being classified as post-rock <laughs> what does it do with that come on just I don't take know. the label you can't label me man so the lead of the band singer guitarist Ephraim Minnick is hesitant to use that term he more so identifies with punk rock ethos and aesthetic the band has stated that their sound is influenced by free jazz community sight singing minimalism in American folkways while still being anchored to a punk rock take on neoclassical and modern music tropes. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't sound punk to me. It sounds more post-punk. <laughs> no. <laughs> to side yeah. with the critics. Here. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's more of like a punk mentality than an actual sound. Punk sound. Per se. Yeah. Fair. Uh, yeah. Some people have been saying like, it's like punk chamber music, which yeah. I can kind of hear that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it, Silver Mount Zion was born out of post-rock gods, no pun intended. Godspeed, you black emperor. Mm. Uh, three of the core members of that band, after they took their first hiatus, went on to form this band, Silver Mount Zion. A Silver Mount Zion is the easiest way to refer to the band. With every album they put out, they change their name slightly to help reflect either... <laughs> The lineup or the sound the band is making. Uh They were first a Silver Mount Zion. Then they moved on to the Silver Mount Zion Memorial Orchestra and Tra La La Band. Then they moved on to the Silver Mount Zion Memorial Orchestra and Tra La La Band with choir. Wow. Then they went to the, as in T-H-E-E, Silver Mount Zion Memorial Orchestra and Tra La La Band. I wonder what that represented. (laughs) I think it was actually... Two people leaving the band. Okay. They lost the choir. Then they dropped the tra-la-la part and just went down to the Silver Mount Zion Memorial Orchestra. And then for one EP, they were the Silver Mountain Reveries, which was a very short transitional period in their band's life. Yeah. (laughs) So now that you have their pompous background story, what did you think of One Million Died to Make the Sound? Okay, I gotta say... Just the very, the very good description you just gave of the band almost sounded like it could have been like a, a cut deleted scene from This Is Spinal Tap. <laughs> I got. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. It really and I don't that, blame you. That is my reaction to this song. I really liked this song a lot. I dug it. Me too. I really dug it. At the same time. At some points, I literally could have heard this song being in the movie This Is Spinal Tap. Especially, 
when they just keep singing 100 million died to make this sound again and again and again yep. so i loved it and i dug it i i love the sound it almost sounded the beginning was almost kind of like a almost to me it almost sounded like late 60s like hippie kind of like definitely weird that vibe yeah and and then it definitely had that post punk sound that i thought was fantastic with strings but it was a little long and it got so long where it, you inevitably at some point go why is it this long and then then i think is it a little excessive and is this a little this is spinal tappy and by the end i was like this is a tiny bit smile tap-esque that's fine <laughs> and actually this is a shorter song oh, out of their discography. like godspeed they make these 20 30 minute long yeah. songs and so does silver mountain zion but i will say they're kind of almost like orchestrated pieces where they're like movements and separate ideas yeah this is kind of an anomaly in that it is one central idea for 14 minutes yeah which doesn't happen that often in yeah. the discography there's usually kind of separate parts that sound drastically different they themselves have described this song as methodically methodically i can't say that word methodically methodically there we go Methodically framing walls of sound over a four-on-the-floor punk dirge. Huh. Yeah. Which, <laughs> I kind of get the dirge. It feels like they're mourning or lamenting yeah, something. But kind of all their music sounds like that. They're, yeah. they're a very political and angsty band in that all of their songs are kind of an attack or comment on something socially or politically. Huh. Is the Zion a reference to the state of Israel? Um, it's speculated. Yeah. The Ephraim Munich, the, the lead guy in the band, he is Jewish. Though he says that the album, or the band's name refers to a misheard song lyric, but he won't tell anyone what song it is. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't make sense, the, the political turmoil in Israel, that it might be referencing something like that. But yeah, what... I've read and what I've gathered, and this is all speculation, is that this song is basically calling out and dissing Pitchfork in music blogs. Really? Yes. <laughs> Which at first I thought it was very political sounding, but I yeah. assume that because I just assume that of them because yeah, you know. they're a very politically charged band. Godspeed's a very politically charged band, even though they don't have lyrics, they somehow still do it. <laughs> so... Pitchfork gave this album a 5.3 and called them terrorists in the review, kind of as a joke, and they got like super offended by it. Wow. And like the line, a line in the song is silk screen that ye twits across thy internet, which is like poking fun at silk screening indie bands, <laughs> like I, I don't know. They they don't get along with Pitchfork. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's strictly about that because there are some pretty heavy political things in the song. Like, there's a point in time where they're just listing these anacronyms huh. ISP, NSA, CCTV, DOD, DOJ, DOC, which are like internet service providers, national security agencies, Department of Justice, Department and, of wow. Justice, uh, American Israel Public Affairs Committee, MP3s, AOL. <laughs> So I, wow. it, it seems like they're kind of like reaching out and just trying to attack a lot of things at the same time. Yeah, yeah. 
and I, I don't know, I, I do, I love this song. Yeah. But I agree, it, it can be a bit much. <laughs> it's a, be- I mean, really, it's a beautiful song. And I love around like the four minute mark when it goes into a kind of like hard post rock with string instruments. Oh, that, that is fantastic. That, that cello. Fantastic. Dun, 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 dun. Like, yeah. it's so awesome to hear such a booming string instrument yeah i actually i saw them live once oh wow and i i brought my friend matt green with me who is a hardcore classical music nut and he was so impressed like he said like i've never heard someone mix rock and classical and mic it so well like it's just the level was perfect like the strings weren't overpowered by the drumming and guitar yeah. at all and they just added to it and yeah. it's so layered and yeah it's a good point because usually if a band uses strings you hear it for like the first second yeah. and then it just disappears into the background but it was fantastic i thought the vocals got a little bit silly sounding at one point that i, I gotta be honest that it, he's got a weird voice <laughs> like i wasn't sure if it, it almost and maybe this is totally like over intellectualizing the whole thing, but it almost seemed like at some point the vocals were like becoming a parody of themselves because they started to sound very like annoying and like silly. But maybe I don't know. Maybe that's just the nature of the repetition. I I honestly that. he just doesn't have the best singing voice. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> he sounds like this on all of his songs, and I don't know if it's a stylistic choice. Because I think it must be, because if you go to the early Silvermont Zion music, it's not as characterized, I feel. Yeah. I think he's trying to add emotion to it. Yeah. But it, okay. usually it comes out because it's like his voice cracks almost. <laughs> yeah, like, it gets a little silly sound. He's like, make this sound. <laughs> like, it, it's like, yeah. it, it feels like he's straining to like go past his vocal register or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And then when it just keeps repeating at the end, I was just yeah. a man. They, they are they make heavy use of like singing in rounds and repetition. Yeah. So there'll be in almost all their songs like repetition of line and then singing in rounds with people singing over each other and layering the vocals. So like yeah. while you found them singing one million died to make the sound over and over again very distracting. Yeah. It's very normal to me, but I'm very familiar yeah. with their discography. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And actually the, one of the reasons why I think this song is a critique of Pitchfork is the phrase one million died to make this sound is in reference to all of the bands that never get a chance because Pitchfork pans them. Uh, so it's almost like Silver Mount Zion climbed on the million bodies of dead bands to get to the top to make the sound <laughs> that you're listening to because yeah. they got reviewed. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. No, I mean, it's, it is overall a fantastic song, and I'll definitely listen to more of Silver Mount Zion. I was very impressed. I can definitely that. hook you up. I have all of their <laughs> albums and all of Godspeed's albums. I, if you're ever feeling kind of pretentious and angsty, they are a great I do band to times. put on. I'm known to be a little angsty and pretentious. I will say, while I disagree with Pitchfork's review of the album, they brought up some good points. Like yeah. at some points in time, the the reviewer said that when you're listening to this album, it kind of leaves you feeling scolded, like you did something wrong. It's not like they're not like talking about how we need to rise up against. It's like you fucked up. Yeah, you're a bad person. Yeah, look at these injustices. <laughs> it kind of gets that feeling. 
Yeah. Yeah, a little mighty higher than now. So chastising you. I'm Catholic, so I can appreciate a good a good whip on the back. Oh, a good whip on the back. <laughs> Gotta punish yourself. I'll take it, Mount Zion. Take it. All right. Let's move on to our final song, I Never Talk to Strangers by Tom Waits featuring Bette Midler. That's right. This is off of Tom's 1977 album, Foreign Affairs. Tom Waits is a singer, songwriter, composer, actor, genius all around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He dabbles in blues, jazz, vaudeville, industrial, avant-garde, rock. He's kind of all over the place. Everywhere. He's from... uh, Pomona, California. In his early years, which is where this song falls in, yeah, he was going for a more jazzy crooner, yeah, vibe. But I think he realized that he didn't really have the crooner voice. <laughs> if you know Tom Waits' voice, yeah. it sounds like he guzzles gravel every morning. <laughs> it's a very distinct growl and rasp. Although legend has it, he can sing in five octaves. He just chooses not to. Yeah. That's the rumor. That's that's <laughs> a lot of Tom Waits is tall tales. Tom Waits, Tom's rumor, tall man. tales. Yeah, Tom's. Uh, and then later on in his years, he moved on to the more experimental avant-garde industrial yeah. style music. He's got a, he's a, the best way I can put it, he's a cult phenomenon. He has a huge underground following. Yeah. While he doesn't have much commercial success, he has a giant fan base. Yeah. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a few years ago. He's an amazing musician. And one of the hardest musicians to see live. His shows are like very rare and they sell out. Like oh, yeah. Immediately. His last tour, the Pesca Jumba Tour. Is that right? The that was back in 2008, and yeah. they put out the live album Glitter and Doom. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Which I have on vinyl. Nice. Uh, and I, what what sucks, though, is if you get the vinyl, you don't get the bonus CD that comes with the CD version, which contains an hour of his stage banter, <laughs> which he is an amazing storyteller. I've heard that Heath Ledger based his, his performance of the Joker loosely off of tom waits oh totally if you listen to so he put out this album of b-sides and rarities a few well it's been more than a few years it's probably been almost 10 years called ballers brawlers and bastards i might be mixing those three up the ballers are a bunch of sad songs brawlers are a bunch of angry songs and bastards are a bunch of weird songs (laughs) and he does all of these stories on the bastards album where like one of them is him reciting a bukowski poem which is actually incredibly beautiful yeah and but he tells these other stories and they're so twisted and demented and the way that he performs these stories you can totally hear heath ledger's joker in there yeah i I completely can hear that yeah yeah but we're talking about (laughs) i never talked to screeners (laughs) So, what did you think of this song? So, yeah, I'm I, I'm familiar with this song. Uh, humongous fan. You are familiar with this song. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And a huge fan of Tom Waits. And this song, because he had done the album Nighthawks at the Diner before this. Yes, it was before. Which was kind of like similar, like jazz, cabaret, but v- almost like beat poet experimental, where he's like almost just like, doing almost like slam poetry into the microphone. And then this song is much more traditional. And 
and it, I can't quite tell if it's a great intro into Tom Waits because you get a sense of where he's kind of departing from throughout for most of his career. I feel like from that kind of jazzy mm-hmm. ca- cabaret feel, <clears throat> but at the same time, he. <laughs> Most of his discography sounds nothing like this. No. So it's almost not a good intro. But it's just a sort of, like all his songs, it's just a novelty. And I'm completely biased. I like it because it's just, it's just it's another... It's just Tom Waits. It's another novelty. Yep. He's totally immersed himself in a genre, and it's weird as hell, but it's beautiful. I guess it was kind of made... I don't want to say like a mistake, but he never intended to make this song. Is that right? I guess while he was recording Foreign Affairs, Bette Midler was a friend or acquaintance or of the producer of this album. And she yeah. stopped in the studio and just on a whim asked if Tom could write her a duet. And wow. he went off and just wrote it and came back with this. <laughs> and then later on, I guess Bette Midler had contacted Tom's agent about doing more duets. And I don't think he was that keen on. He's like, oh, I guess we'll we'll figure it out some other time. <laughs> and then nothing ever came of it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That would be amazing. A Bette Midler and Tom Waits album. Yeah. So this album, Foreign <laughs> Affairs, is supposed to sound like the feel of a black and white film noir movie. Mm, and yeah. I can definitely hear that in this song. Yeah, like you're in this dim, smoky bar. Yeah. There's actually some like sound effects in the song of a bar and just this smooth jazz playing. And it's more so a conversation than a song. Like yeah. They're not singing along with the music. They're just kind of sing-songy talking yeah. to each other. And they got that kind of like cynical but almost romantic vibe in those yeah. early noir movies. Well, yeah. and another trope of film noir movies are cliches, which yeah. this song is full of. <laughs> yeah. Such as the line, yeah. I was not born just yesterday. <laughs> it takes one to know one, and I've been around the block. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's totally film noir. Yeah. I feel like I'm in a bar watching these this guy trying to hit on this girl and her not having any of it. Yeah, yeah. Which, again, that, in a way, it is a good intro to Tom Waits because so many of his songs put you in a scene. Like, you're there. Yeah. Maybe it's weird as hell. But at the same time, this is a very unique scene that I <laughs> I don't think Tom takes you to in many of his other songs. I do think it's it might be a bit jarring for people who don't know Tom because, like, you hear this kind of smooth, jazzy music playing. It starts off with Bette Midler saying, bartender, I'd like a Manhattan, please. And then this guy comes up. He's like, excuse me if you heard this one before. And it's like, who the fuck talks like that? What's wrong with his voice? How drunk is he? Get him out of here. I think a meth addict just approached me in a bar. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's a, it is a beautiful. I mean, it's a pretty song. It's a great song. And actually, when they're like literally duetting and singing together, I think they complement each yeah. other pretty well. Because on Tom's like very first album that I've heard, I don't know, maybe he has an earlier one, he does try to sing more or less conventionally. Well, yeah, he started out with the intention of yeah. being a crooner. Yeah. That so was he, his goal. So he can do it, like you kind of said. Kind of, he would have been a mediocre yeah. crooner. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, the song, it's just another of many Tom Wade kind of novelty songs. I agree. I mean, Which I think he has a whole discography <laughs> yeah, of. Exactly. Every Tom Waits song is a novelty just, yeah, song. It's just experiment in a genre. I actually, I I also read that this song was below 
Bette Midler's register, which is why it ended up being more of a talking song because oh. she literally couldn't sing low enough <laughs> to meet Tom Waits' voice. <laughs> yeah, because she's a soprano, she sings very high. Yeah, I could totally see that. I also learned out, learned out. I found out <laughs> that it was because of this song that Francis Ford Coppola asked Tom Waits to do the soundtrack for his film One from the Heart. Wow. He was looking for someone to score his film, and in the pile of music he gave, was given, he was this duet with him and Bette Midler. He's like, I want to talk to that guy. And then he got to do the soundtrack for that movie. I need to see this movie. I've, I've, yeah, I've never seen it either. I've heard tracks from that, but I've never seen the movie. No. Never seen the Anything movie. Anything Tom Waits is involved with, I'm yeah. interested in. Yeah, definitely. What's the uh, 1990 superhero movie? Mystery Man. Mystery Man. Oh, man. Um, wait, Ellen, <laughs> in his imaginarium of imaginarium Dr. Parnassus. Dr. Parnassus, where he literally plays Satan. Yeah, it's awesome. Or, sorry, Mr. Nick. Yeah, Mr. Nick. And he, Heath Ledger was in that film, yeah. which brings it all together. Yeah, exactly. Ties it all together. What a, what a lovely man. Yeah. So, Legend. if you had to pick a favorite from these five... And before you say what I think you're going to say, beyond drift and die. Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I, I know that's both All our right. favorites. So what is your second favorite from Okay, so for the record, we're bracketing off. Well, okay, sorry. We're bracketing off wings. Arms wide open is Creed. perma Dominic's number one. Okay, good. Drift and Die might be two or three. I don't know if Tied Wings. with Wings discography. Okay. If the entire good. Wings discography. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be honest. Plus Drift and Die by Pearl Mudd is two. Have you ever had to pick your favorite Wings song? It's torch. It's like pulling uh, teeth. I'd rather shoot my, <laughs> blow my brains out. Uh, I would have to pick favorite song. Icky Thump. Icky Thump. That's, to me, that's the best song of all five. If I had to pick. Now, I had to think about this. So... The wannabe, depressed, emo, hot topic kid in me <laughs> wants to say The Cure. You gotta pick The Cure. The philosophy major, early college career Jared wants to go with a Silver Mountain Zion. Intellectual Jared. Yeah. Sorry, intellectual. <laughs> I didn't mean pretentious. I meant yeah. intellectual. But... The real you wants looking, to go with Pella Mud. Well, we, we've already <laughs> gone over that. Uh, fine. Deep down on the most visceral level, Icky Thump is just great fucking song. Yeah, I can't deny it. It's a dynamite like, song. The other two, The Cure and the Silver Mountain Zion, which are two of my favorite bands, but I need to be in the right mindset to listen to them and fully enjoy it. Yeah. Whereas no matter how happy, angry, depressed, sad, whatever I am, if you put Icky Thump on, I'm going to nod my head to that. Yeah. Because that is just a great song. Yeah. It's just, it's the best. It's a yeah. great song. Yeah. Jack White's goddamn genius. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Two weeks in a row, we agreed. What's, hap right? what's happening oh, to us? But for the record, it's agree with an asterisk as Wings and uh, well, yeah, because Creed and Paula Mutt. I, we will always disagree because uh, I like Puddle more than more than Creed, <laughs> and you like Creed more than Puddle of Mud. Oh, and that's I, how we first became friends. Well, arguing in a it bar was after or... a fight. We 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 got into a pretty bad fist fight, and then we we agreed to disagree on Puddle of Mud and Creed. And we just went and sprayed Fago all over ourselves. We did. Sat down in the Church of Scientology <laughs> and said, "Thank you, Lord Zeno." <laughs> It's the way it goes. I should probably stop talking about them or they're going to sue me. <laughs> they sue everybody that talks about them. Hey, it's free press, man. 
Get those things out of here. Get, get out of here. Uh, All right. I guess let's go pick out the, the five tracks. songs for next. All right. Here are your five songs for next week. The first song is Watching Boats with My Dad by Buckethead. Second song is Rosemary's Baby by Phantomus. Third song is Easy Girl by Coconut Records. Fourth song is Aortic Dissection by Carnifex. And the fifth song is A Journey to Readham 7 a.m. Mix by Square Pusher. So go ahead and listen to those songs, and we'll talk about them next week. Thank you for listening.